Our hot topic of the day is going to be the authority of God's word. That seems crazy that I even have to say that to me in my mentality. Um, and sola scriptura is where we're going to land. But before I go there, um, before I even read the scripture or define sola scriptura, because some of you are like, what the Latin is going on? Um, I, I want to give you just a little bit of a disclaimer. I, I want you to understand why we went into this series, why we addressed marriage and sexuality, why we address pursuing purity, why we addressed uh, patriarchal suppression, why we addressed women and leaders, and the list goes on and on, okay? Here's what I need you to understand. We are not talking about these topics, especially the one today, hear me, so that you can go out of here and start fights with people and win arguments with people. We are not going over these topics so that you can become a keyboard gangster, a screensaver, a Google God, and a TikTok theologian. I'm trying to help somebody today. That is not why we're going over this. So if you want to take this and go out and use it as a weapon against people, you've missed the heart of this house. Okay? I need you to understand, and I think this, I, this needs to be clarified. Um, I actually don't talk to people the same way that I preach to you. Like, I don't walk up to people in Walmart and say, like, turn in your Bible, hey, to 2 Timothy. Yeah, I'm talking to you, fool. No, that's not, that's not how that, that, you don't, you can't just walk up to people and tell them, you're going to hell. You need to listen to me. I can help you. That doesn't work. So I preach one way, and then I have conversations another way. And I think it's important to designate the difference. I preach with passion, yes, but that's not God's fault. That's just how I am. What I have to do is hone that in and make it applicable. I preach with passion, but I have conversations with compassion. It's very important. Because you can preach and have a good time with pre people that are preaching with you. But you can't preach at people that don't agree with you. Because you will push them further away from the God you say you believe in. So I preach with passion because it's fun. And if I don't, you'll fall asleep. And that irritates me. And I don't like calling people out in front of everybody. But I have conversations with compassion. We're doing this series, honestly, because we wanted to draw attention in the summertime. Statistically, people kind of fade out a little bit. They don't just take vacations. They take spiritual vacations. They take vacations from Jesus, not with Jesus. And so we wanted to come up with a series that would, that would continue to draw you in. We wanted to speak to the issues and make sure that you know where your, your church stands. And we wanted to equip you. We wanted to equip you to what? Smash people on Facebook. Let them have it. Stand behind your screen and win the war. No. That is, we wanted to equip you to be able to have conversations. You know why most people are so defensive? It's because they don't know why they believe what they believe. But when you learn why you believe what you believe, then you won't become defensive every time that somebody disagrees with what you say you believe. You'll be able to give them an explanation or an apologia, the reason for your faith. And then also, I mean, my favorite message of all the messages, who did not love watching Pastor Dylan, Bailey, and Micah suffer in the Hot Wings Challenge? That's why we did the series. Like, we wouldn't have done it again without that. All right. 
Sola Scriptura. I preach with passion. I have conversations with compassion. Sola Scriptura. Sola Scriptura is Latin for by Scripture alone. Okay, so here's what you need to understand about me. Um, As you may be able to tell, if you're a guest here, my accent doesn't match yours. That's because I wasn't born here. Okay, Um, I'm a seven-year-old missionary to the Cajun culture, okay? I, 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 was, I was born and raised in North Louisiana, went to college in Shreveport, Louisiana, kind of made my way around the nation. Um, it doesn't matter. I ended up in central Arkansas, also known as purgatory. I don't believe in that, but if there was one, that's where it is, okay? And, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then in East Texas, which is actually just North Louisiana extended over, okay? So we, I've been in East Texas and, and central Arkansas and North Louisiana. This is the first time that I've ever lived down here. I actually didn't even know that this was in, in contention. Like, that's how ignorant I was of other cultures and other systems of faith. It, it seemed, it was confounding to me. Like I learned this like four years ago, that there are people that do not believe that the Bible, like people who profess to be a follower of Jesus and a Christian, believe that the Bible is not the sole infallible source of authority for Christian faith. I didn't even know that I needed to preach a message about the sole infallible authority of the Word of God. And so I waited seven years, and today is my day. Challenges to this doctrine, and we're just going to call it what it is. Remember, preach with passion, have conversations with compassion. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against people. It's against powers and principalities of darkness. Challenges to sola scriptura or to this doctrine, which is the number one fundamental truth of the assemblies of God. And if that ever changes, we won't be assemblies of God. The number one fundamental truth of the assemblies of God, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and several other passages, is that the scriptures are the breath or inspired by the breath of God. The scriptures are the inspired word of God. Challenges to this doctrine would be that of the inspiration of church tradition or the catechism. Challenges to this doctrine would be papal authority or the interpretation of the church fathers, the papacy and the magistrate. Challenges to sola scriptura would be sola ecclesia, which is the authority of the church. And I have found that many people actually equate sola ecclesia or the authority of the papacy to the authority of God's word. In other words, and I, and I believe that this is probably one of the most detrimental things that has ever happened to Christianity. There are people that believe that this book is only as authoritative as the traditions of the church. People preach and believe that this book is only as authoritative as the papacy authorizes it to be or the interpretation of the church leaders throughout history. So we're equating church leaders, tradition, and history to the authority of the Word of God. I believe that's dangerous territory. 
I think that Paul, the apostle Paul, believed that to be dangerous territory. I don't believe that it was ever the intent of the apostles to put anything up beside this book. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 14, before we get to verse 14, you need to understand that Paul is writing to Timothy because of the problems that have already arisen in the church. Heresy did not start in the 14 and 1500s. Heresy existed from the day that Jesus ascended into the heavens. Let me give you an example before we read the scripture. Jesus revealed himself to over 500 people in 40 days. And many of those people, up to 500 of them possibly, according to the the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians, Jesus was before 500 people as he ascended into the heavens. And Dr. Luke made sure that we know at the end of his gospel and the beginning of his church history and the acts of the Holy Spirit in the birth of the church, he made sure that we knew that Jesus told all of those people that he revealed himself to, to tarry or wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. When the Holy Spirit came, There were not 500 people in the room. There were not 400 people in the room. There were not 300 people in the room. You know, the problem with people is they're not willing to wait on God's timing. When the Holy Spirit came, the promise of God from the prophet Joel, confirmed by the apostle Peter, 120 people did what God said. Where did the 380 go? Heresy. And Paul says this to his protege, Timothy. But as for you, as he opened his book with a warning that in the last days people will succumb to the doctrine of devils. That people will dishonor their parents. I can't get no help from a teenager today, so I'm going to keep preaching. That people will be lovers of money. I got all (laughs) y'all. That they would call good evil and evil good. And Paul says, but as for you, children of God, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Who did he learn it? From the apostle Paul and verse 15. And how from childhood your mama Eunice, come on somebody, we in the Bible. (laughs) Sorry, I almost said something I shouldn't have. And how from childhood you have been equated with what? Church tradition? Jewish history, papal authority. No, no, no. How from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings or the holy scriptures. Who's writing this? The apostle Paul. The apostle Paul was on the Sanhedrin. He was set up to possibly be the high priest of Jerusalem. He believed in the Jewish Bible. He did not believe. Now, this is argument. This is available for argumentative reasons in the future. But the Apostle Paul did not believe in a Hellenistic interpretation of the Old Testament. 
He did not add books to the Old Testament and agree with Greek philosophers as he, as he did God himself. Hellenistic meaning Jews who integrated themselves with Greek culture and continued to call it Judaism. Paul was not for that. So it is very unlikely that Paul was talking about anything outside of the Tanakh, which is the Torah, the prophets, the minor prophets, and the poetry that was canonized by the Greeks. I don't have time to canonize scripture today, but you can go and study the rest of that out for yourself, because i got to keep going. Which are able, what are they able to do? The Holy Scripture, the Word of God, the sacred writings, the sacred writings are able to make you wise for what? For salvation. Through papal authority? No. Through church history? No. Ecclesial tradition? No. Through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, for all scripture is breathed out. That word breathed in the Greek, pneuma, spirit, breathed, the similar word to the word from Hebrew in the book of Genesis, when a dirt body was formed by the hand of God and laid lifeless in the sand until God, pneuma, and the man came alive. All scripture, that's what happens when you read the word of God. Your dead body begins to receive the breath of God. All scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable, by the way, for teaching. And it doesn't matter whether a man or woman's preaching it. And I can't get no amens. For reproof, for correction. Don't nobody like that part. Pastor, I need to talk to you. I don't think you do. Pastor, I want to meet with you. Are you sure? Pastor, I want you to be my mentor. Let's define mentor. Because what I found is most people don't want a coach. They want a cheerleader. Most people don't want to be corrected. They want to be made to feel better about what they're not supposed to be doing. But the Bible doesn't do that. And anybody that does is not a friend of yours. The Bible is profitable because it's God-breathed, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man and or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So we saw faith, and we saw equipped, we saw salvation, and we saw works. All right there, defined by the Apostle Paul. All right, I am not a historian, praise God. Um, I do have really close to a minor in history. My undergraduate dissertation for graduation was in history 499. And, uh, but here's what I do have, and that's my disclaimer. I'm not a scholar, I'm not a theologian, um, but I have been reading for a long time, okay? So I, I have the ability to read, and I even comprehend most of the things that I read. And um, I went to undergraduate, I went to college and, and worked for five years on my bachelor's degree. You've heard me say this, most people do it in four. I'm an overachiever, I did it in five. Um, and then I spent four years in grad school thus far. Okay, so I learned how to listen, read, study, and research. So I'm going to give you a surface level case study today of the last 2,000 years. I know. It's going to take me just a moment. Hey, let me, real quick, who are all my history people? Come on, you just love history. Like, ooh, history. Come on, somebody. Oh, great, great. Like, eight out of 300. This is going to be so, so good. All right, where are my non-history people? Come on, confession's good for the soul. Non-history. Okay, keep your right hand up and make this declaration with me today. I will not fall asleep in the name of Jesus. I will pay attention for the next 15 minutes. 
minutes as I endure this exhortation of history that I don't really want to hear. And then pastor will make me laugh, cry, shout, clap, scream, and get out of here. All right. Paul the Apostle, <laughs> Paul the Apostle wrote an entire letter to the church in Rome. Not one time did he mention a bishop. 16 chapters. Not one time did he say, when Linus shows up, you need to listen to him because he is operating in Petrine supremacy. Ignatius, Polycarp, they follow the Apostle Paul and John the Baptist. They write letters to Rome. Not one time. This is close to 100 AD. Not one mention of a bishop with Petrine succession. In fact, the professed first bishop of Rome, supposedly Linus, is not even a successor of the Apostle Peter, but of the Apostle Paul. I started out hot. I'm not here to slam systems of faith today. I'm here to present a case study of why we believe in the authority of the Word of God alone. Fast forward with me to 303. You have the height of persecution in Christianity. And in 313, a godsend hit the earth in the emperor Constantine. When not only did he unite his faith with Christendom, but he legalized Christianity. One of the best things and the worst things that ever happened to Christianity. Because like in America, Christianity became popular. So instead of being persecuted for your faith... You actually became a part of the faith because that was what was popular. And what we're finding today, as Christianity ceases to become popular, people cease to stay faithful. The church began to align itself politically, religiously, so that they could promote themselves positionally. And finally, in 325, Constantine called a council because heresy had already arisen. By the way, the Apostle Paul had to write letters about heresy in the church within 40 years of when Jesus ascended through the clouds. So not only do you have 380 people who heard Jesus tell them something specific, and yet they did it not, the apostles were already writing letters because of wolves arising in the house of God, teaching unbiblical, not untraditional, but unbiblical. In fact, Jesus himself said to the Pharisees, Beware your traditions. So Constantine calls the council of Nicaea. There was so much disagreement. One of the men that stood in the greatest contest of Christianity at that time proclaimed that Jesus was a created being, that Jesus was not divine in nature, yet like us, created by God. His name was Arius, and Santa Claus slapped him. It's an awesome story. Now, that's, that's argumentable. Like, you could argue against that as well, but it is a funny story, so don't mess with Santa Claus. Um, by the end of this meeting, they had already agreed on the 27 books of the New Testament, and a lot of people think that this was the canonization of Scripture. That was not what was in con contest in this, but they wrote what was called the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed. And in the Nicene Creed, at the very bottom of the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, there is the word Catholic. It was not big C Catholic, it was little c Catholic. It meant universal. It meant everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, because that was what was biblical. So they established the Nicene Creed. And within one year of the Council of Nicaea, a man named Athanasius, 
I know, wake up all your non-history people, bump them. I'll be back for you in just a moment, but you need to hone in because I'm making a case to set up the swing, the home run. I'm gonna swing in just a minute, but just hang in there. A man named Athanasius began to preach against Arius because just because the council decided that Arius was wrong did not mean that Arius disappeared or did his charisma and influence within the Roman Empire. So some of Constantine's people and family, and and some scholars believe even Constantine himself, began to align himself with the teachings of Arius because it made more sense than the teachings of Scripture. And within a year, the bishop of Alexandria, who, by the way, former bishop had... uh, exiled Arius for false doctrine and heresy within the church. Now Athanasius is standing in that spot. And the phrase that comes out of what Athanasius faced was Athanasius against the world. He would preach the gospel in the front of the church and then run out of the back of the church because they were waiting to execute him if he came out the front. He was on a boat and the Roman Empire aligned with religious people from the church were seeking to kill him because he was preaching against personal promotion and Arianism that was abounding as long as Arius was still alive. So despite the creed, and you can go study this out for yourself, the magistrate had aligned itself with the monarchy because it was beneficial for them to do so. After the Council of Constantinople, we finally, this is so good. I didn't even know all that. I had to go, I I took history of Christianity, um, but I did what some of y'all are doing right now, which was just waited for that class to be over. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Megan wasn't in that class, or I wouldn't even taken notes. All right, anyways. After the Council of Constantinople, we established that Jesus is fully human and fully divine, which is what uh, Arius was preaching against. So we finally figured it out as Christians, right? We got it. Jesus is fully man, fully divine, fully God, fully human, all at the same time. Well, around four or 500, you have Nestorius who says that we have to separate the human from the divine. And Cyril of Alexandria, not Cyril, but Cyril of Alexandria, the bishop of Alexandria, followed Athanasius and he stood against Nestorius and said, no, 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 that's Arianism. And Nestorius said, no, it's not Arianism. I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't divine. I'm just saying that you have to separate the two. You see how minuscule all the arguments become and all the factions begin to follow this school of thought and this school of thought and this school of thought. So you have the birth of oriental orthodox no jesus has two natures not one and i need to add in a note that this is really important right here around 600 a.d the the church decided that the bible should only exist translated in latin that would mean translated from hebrew and greek into latin in fact catch this If you owned a Bible that was not in Latin, you could be arrested, not by the government, but by the church. Sounds like Judaism. You could be executed, not by the government, but by the church. Sounds like the Sanhedrin. And so the church removed the word of God from the hands of the people and actually discouraged 
And some of you have faced this because you've told me. Some of you have been discouraged from reading the word of God because you do not walk in the apostolic anointing and have the ability to interpret the word of God because you don't follow this plan or this tradition or this history or because you're a woman. That started in 600 AD when the church removed the word of God from the people and discouraged followers of Jesus from reading the words of Jesus. Fast forward to 1000 AD. You have a Latin church in the West and a Greek church in the East. You have a bishop of Rome and a patriarch of Constantinople. You have a Roman church and an Eastern Orthodox church. And this is the original great schism because the bishop of Rome wanted to add something to the creed. The Nicene Creed, the bishop of Rome wanted to add something about the Holy Spirit, which is not even unbiblical, but it was untraditional. And so in this scenario, the bishop of Rome was right. But the, Constant, the patriarch of Constantinople disagreed with the bishop of Rome. It's like, you can't add something to the creed. You can't, the, the creed is like the Bible. No, it's not. The Bible is like the Bible and the creed is missing something in the Bible. You can't add that. We're going to become Eastern Orthodox and you can stay over here in this church. All right, let's fast forward another hundred years or so. And the church already has four major groups of individuals who claim to be followers of Jesus, but believe the other groups are not going to heaven. So four groups of churches that believe they are the only church. Let me clarify. We do not believe that we are the only church. Now, we did buy EuniceChurch.com. I'm not saying that we're the only. <laughs> we did that so that when people moved here and they searched church in Eunice, they would find us first. So I hope that happened for you because that wasn't free either. Thank you for worshiping God with your giving. All right, but we don't, <laughs> we, don't believe, we don't believe that we're the only church. We don't believe that we're the only group of people that God is using to win souls and build his kingdom. We just believe we're the best <laughs> without apology. Guys, if I didn't believe we were the best, then I would be someone else. I would do something else. I would be somewhere else. I would go do, believe, and practice. Listen, if Jesus lost in the end of the book, I can't even say I'd be a follower of Jesus. Last time I checked, he is victorious, and those who are in him are more than conquerors in Christ. I ain't even supposed to be preaching that. Let me get back. There's four groups. Assyrian Church of the East. They're the only church. Oriental Orthodox. We're the only church. Eastern Orthodox. No, we're the only church. Roman Catholic. No, we're the only church. Our Pope is the authority of Peter. No, our Pope is the authority of Peter. No, our Popes are the authority of Peter. When did Peter have twins? <laughs> and you laugh, but that's what's happening. And you have battles between churches. And I'm not talking about like verbal battles. I'm talking like let's roll. We should do that again. <laughs> we would win. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. If you're watching, you disagree, that's fine. Don't try to prove it. I don't want to be on the front page of the Eunice newspaper for that. All right. Around 1300, 1400, you have two bishops of Rome, two supposed Petrine successors, which morphs into three different supposed Petrine successors. That's successors of Peter and the apostolic authority of the papacy. Three different people. 
Now the church comes together and they nix this person and they figure this whole thing out. But those guys had other guys who had other guys. And so even within one of those factions, you have all kinds of division. What's the point? Heresy didn't begin in the 1500s. Whenever, whenever the rebirth of the authority of God's word alone came to pass. Heresy has existed within humanity since the day that Jesus ascended into the heavens. So you have this man named Jan Hus, and I'm not saying that I agree with everything that Jan Hus taught, but Jan Hus is battling papal indoctrination. He is battling unbiblical ecclesial practices and or unbiblical traditions of the church. And Jan Hus has the audacity. Come on, wake up all the non-history people because you don't want to miss this one. Jan Hus has the audacity to make this statement that Jesus and his word should be the ultimate authority. No, 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 it didn't get an amen. It got an appeal for execution. That you could say that as a man of God in a pulpit and have to be concerned about your life. Because when you align yourself politically, come on people in 2024. Hey, we're quiet. When you align yourself politically and you promote yourself culturally and you realize that you put yourself in authority, you realize that people can take you out. And you will go to war with somebody that doesn't respect your authority. And Jan Hus did not respect the authority of men because he read about the time that the Pharisees were corrected by the Son of God himself when the Son of God looked at the Pharisees and said, you do what you do for the applause of men and not for the glory of God. Jan Hus was saying, Jesus Christ alone should be the head of the church. I don't have this quotation for you, but he went on to say, in the truth of the gospel, I have written, taught, and preached. And today I will gladly die. Why did Jan Hus have to die? Because the church tricked him into attending what he thought would be another council of bishops and leaders of the church. They convinced him after multiple invitations that he turned down because he knew what was going to happen if he showed up. They guaranteed him his safety and protection. And when he showed up, they arrested him and killed him anyways. He was burned to death at the stake by the church for preaching that Jesus alone, this is in the 1400s, this is before the Reformation, the church alone is the authority, and here's what he proclaimed according to history. What I have taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. Oh, that people would be willing to lay down their life once again for what they say they believe. Oh, that we would be more interested in the responsibilities of kingdom children than we are the rights of American citizens. That we would live for Jesus even when it's not popular, when it costs us our platform, when we don't get tax credit. Oh, I got to keep on going or I'm going to get stuck right here. Fast forward today. You have Martin Luther John Calvin, William Tyndale, you have reformists, then you have a bishop of Rome who very biblically told the 
king of England, you shouldn't get divorced. So the king of England makes himself the bishop and says, yes, I can. So now you have the Anglican and the monarchy rule within religion. Fast forward a little bit more. You have the Puritans who are like, we don't like you, 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 or you. We just want to worship God in in spirit and truth like Jesus said. So they risk their lives. They get on boats. They sail across the Atlantic Ocean and they come to the United States of America just to have people follow them and colonize the new land. So you have an American war for independence. Then you have a great awakening that is supposedly a great revival and yet people still kept slaves and called themselves Christians. So God had to have us fight amongst ourselves in a thing called the Civil War. And finally, in 1890 in Topeka, Kansas with an 80-year-old woman named Agnes, the Holy Spirit shows back up, I think, for the first time in about 1,500 years. And she starts speaking in Mongolian Chinese and ends up a missionary in China. And then a one-eyed black man named William Seymour, whose parents were enslaved, but God brought out in freedom, ends up preaching the gospel on the streets of Azusa and revival and a charismatic ministry break out across the land and the assumers of God come in in 1914 and establish doctrine because it's one thing to have an emotional move of God and it's another thing to encounter the presence of God and make sure that everybody understands the word of God. And so I'm here to give you evidence today that sola scriptura is not a product of the Reformation but a command of God himself. Everything that I just gave you and so much more could prove sola scriptura. But just to take it a little bit further, let me quote somebody you may have heard of before. He said this, whoever dissents from the sacred scriptures, even if they are found in all places in which the church is designated, in other words, even if it aligns with papal authority or even if it aligns with ecclesial tradition or church tradition, those things which the church has designated that do not line up with Scripture are not the church. In Dei Unitate Ecclesia or On the Unity of the Church written by a man named St. Augustine in the first few centuries of the birth of the church. Let me take you back a little bit further just to make sure that you know sola scriptura is not something that arose as the heresy of all heresies during the Protestant Reformation. St. Basil, Louisiana. No, that's not it. It's Basil of Caesarea in his book on the Holy Spirit. He said this, We are not content simply because this is the tradition of the fathers. What is important is that the fathers follow the meaning of Scripture. The sacred writings come before everything else. I am not against structure. I'm not against being spirit-filled. I'm not against establishing doctrine. In fact, I would encourage you to attend a body of believers because of the doctrine of that body of believers, not the way they make you feel or do not feel. I would encourage you to make this your church home because we believe in the Bible and the Word of God. 
Make this the place where you let the Holy Spirit mentor your family because we don't add to or remove from the authority of the sacred writings. The question is not, what does the pastor say? Oh, I can't get no help, so I'm going to just go with it. The question is not, well, what does the bishop say? I didn't say it in first service, probably shouldn't say it again, but have you heard this crazy bishop of Rome that seats currently? The things that this man has said about atheists inheriting the kingdom of God, men with men and women with women, and what he is tolerating, I don't know whose authority he's operating under, but it ain't my Holy Spirit. But that's what happens. Guys, it doesn't matter what I say. If I start preaching things that aren't in this book, then we have two elders, seven board members, and a a staff and church full of people that can run me out of town. And I tell you all the time, don't trust me. Test everything that's said. Go study the book. See if what I'm preaching lines up with the Word. And if you see something in the Word that doesn't line up with what I say, then challenge me. Careful, though. probably not publicly but let's have a conversation it doesn't matter what the pastor says it doesn't matter what John MacArthur says it doesn't matter what Doug Clay the superintendent says it doesn't matter what the Pope says it doesn't matter what the priest says it doesn't matter what the people say it matters what does the Bible say you don't want my opinion you want God's authority and there are people that say, well, solo scriptura is not in the Bible. I'm glad that you brought that up. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. You're like, we didn't bring it up. We didn't bring it up. That's okay. We're going to go there anyway. Verse 20 says, above all, the apostle Peter. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Prophecy doesn't come from prophets. Prophecy comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit obeys, I'm sorry, prophet obeys the Holy Spirit. And if what the prophet says doesn't line up with what the Holy Spirit already said, then don't listen to that fool. Verse 21. Did he have to say that? I think I did. Three people just woke up. Whoa, what's he preaching about? Verse 21. You don't listen. It didn't come from the prophet. It didn't come from human initiative. I'm not against councils. I'm not against think tanks. I'm not against groups. Not against leaders. I'm certainly not against biblical authority. I believe it's lined. I believe it's, I believe it's in scripture that all authority comes from God. And so we need to honor all of them. Even the ones that we don't agree with. Even if they veto things that needed to be approved. I ain't got time. I got to keep going. Human initiative, nor those prophets were moved. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. All right, non-history people, I'm about to preach for you. Here's what you need to understand. Church tradition can't save me. Let me just say unequivocally, I do not experience the grace of God through the sacraments. I experienced the the grace of God, and I am the sacrament. I ain't got time to preach, but I'm going to do it anyways. Jesus said that you eat of my body and drink of my blood. That's spiritual and ultimately physical. What he's saying is you become part of the body, and you better plead the blood. 
What he's saying is, you don't just experience my present whenever you receive a transfigured communion or transubstantiation communion. I'm just going all after everything today because it's biblical. What he's saying is, you don't just receive the sacraments, you become the sacraments. You don't just receive the body of Christ, you are the body of Christ. You don't just receive the blood of the Lamb, you you become the blood of the Lamb. You ain't got to go to your house and rub lamb's blood over your threshold so that the devil can't come in and attack your family. You can go to your house in the authority of the blood that's already bought you and aligned you with the word of God and you can speak to that mountain and it shall be cast into the you can speak to I can't be saved because of somebody else's practice and somebody else's tradition and somebody else's faith but I can call upon the name of the Lord and I can receive salvation because freely it has been given to me and freely I shall begin to give. I cannot defeat the devil under somebody else's authority. You can't go up against the devil in the authority of your pastor, priest, or pope. If you go up against the devil in somebody else's authority, then you become like a Pharisee that gets overridden by devils you can't cast out. And if you think that the Pharisee had a hard time with seven devils in Mary Magdala, then you ought to have seen the time that seven boys went up against one devil named the sons of Sceva. I'm telling you, if you go up against a devil in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches or Chris preaches or the Pope preaches or the priest preaches, then that devil will rip your britches off and send you screaming and running through the streets and you will be known as the heretic that you are. However, if you come to a devil in the name of Jesus because you are aligned with the word of God and you have submit yourself to God that demon can't stand in the presence of the light because the light outshines the darkness and the darkness can't comprehend it I can't be saved through church tradition I can't deal with devils under somebody else's authority I gotta come in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit I gotta plead the blood and the word of the testimony because Jesus was the light in the book of Genesis and Jesus was the rock in the wilderness. Jesus was the cloud by day and the fire by night. Jesus was the praise of Joshua and the people that made the Jericho wall come tumbling down. Jesus was the anointing that was poured out on the head of David the king of mankind at that time. Jesus was the repentance of the nation of Nineveh. Jesus was the provision of Malachi. I about prayed in tongues because we need that provision as a church right now. Jesus was the gospel that led the hurt and the broken and the sick and the weary into healing and salvation because the spirit of the Lord is upon me that I would preach the good news. Unlock those who are bound by spirits. Let the deaf ears be opened for the day of the favor of the Lord has come. Jesus was the revelation to John. It was Jesus that was in the beginning with God and he was God. It was Jesus who became flesh and dwelt among us. It was Jesus whom we beheld the glory of the Lord. It was Jesus who was full of grace and truth. It was Jesus, says the Lord, that will strike down the nations at Armageddon and raise up the saints of God in the last day. It was Jesus. It's always been Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of my life. Jesus is the head of my finances. He's 
the head of my family and he holds my future in his hands. I can't get no help, so I'm going to shout from the rooftops. It was Jesus. When Jesus faced the devil himself, the Son of God declared, it is I'm telling you, I got something on me today. I'm trying to get in you this morning. It is written according to the word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word, thank you, Miss Earlette. Somebody got to get it this morning. My word, not the preacher, hey, not the pastor, not the pope, not the prophet, not the priest, not the fathers of the past, but the heavenly father of all that ever was and is and is to come. He shall never pass away. And as long as you stick with him and this book, then you can be confident that you are in Christ. We believe in sola scriptura because we believe in Jesus, because Jesus is the Word. That's our doctrine. If you love it, stay. If you don't, stay anyways and let the Holy Ghost show you. It's Jesus. The question is not, People ask me, how do you preach three times like that? I say, I die every Sunday when I leave and Jesus raised me back from the dead. (laughs) The question is not, are you in line with Petran supremacy? The question is not, are you in line with church tradition? Oh, somebody help me this morning as I want to close worse than you want me to. The question is not, are you Catholic? I just prayed in tongues again. The question is not, are you Protestant or are you Pentecostal? The question is not, are you Reformed or are you Baptist or are you Eastern or are you Orthodox? The question is not, are you Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Methodist or messed up? No, the question is not, what are you and where do you go to church? The question is, are you covered in the blood? The question is, is the authority of your life found within this book? The question is, are you abiding in Christ and Christ alone? For it is Christ and Christ alone that has saved me, that has set me free. It is the Spirit that has sanctified me. And I'm not as good as I'm going to be, but I'm not what I used to be. Because this Word is washing me white as snow every single day that I get in it. And let it get something out and replace it with something that he has to put in. That's why we're solo scriptura. Because if you take this book, you take my life. Jesus. All to Jesus. You go where you want to go. You say what you want to say. But give me Jesus. Oh, I fix my eyes upon Jesus. The author. Oh, I know, I know. We have factions and divisions and denominations. But you be rest assured 
that there's one thing that never changes. His name is Alpha and Omega. His name is beginning and the end. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is above every other name. And at the mention of his name, every knee will bow and every pope, con- every tongue confess that Jesus, Jesus Christ, every preacher will melt like wax in his presence. And every heretic will spend eternity separated from him. But every son and every daughter, every priest and priestess who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We believe in this book.